0: Welcome to Accessible Theology, where a podcast dedicated to making theology accessible. Uh, Our goal is that we would know God truly so that we can love God deeply. Uh, Today, Michael and I are going to have a discussion through a passage in Colossians. Uh, We have both loved the book of Colossians and have decided that it would be a good idea for us to let some of that love out to share it with others, I guess. Um, but we're looking at a great passage today. I mean, okay, I guess I could have said that about any passage that we would look at in Colossians, but um, this one probably probably comes close to topping the list in the entirety of the book of Colossians. W- would you agree to that, Michael?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, It's de- some people have debated, it's oftentimes talked about whether or not this was a hymn that Paul pulled yeah. in and put in, it could have been a hymn that was used in the early church. Um, yeah. At at minimum, it's just, it's it's a wonderful encapsulation of the work of the Son mm-hmm. demonstrating That's his right. supremacy over all things. So it's, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk through these five verses.
0: So in case you're wondering, uh, well, you've probably seen it in the title already of this episode, but we're going to be discussing Colossians chapter one in looking at verses 15 to 20. Now, there is a lot of deep, rich theology in this, and in all honesty, we're not going to be able to discuss it all, but that's okay, uh, because you can take what we uh, discuss and go and read and, uh, you know, think through some of these things for yourself. Uh, Do you think, Michael, do you think that this this is possibly... Uh, ranked highly, at least for me, and if you're agreeing, ranked highly because of all of those deep theological themes and we tend to be, you know, bent towards systematic theology and, and whatnot. Do you think that's maybe why, or, or is there is there more going on to it?
1: Yeah, I think the draw to it is how um, how massive it puts Christ out to be. In this, right. So, I mean, the whole Bible is putting forward Jesus as the fulfillment of all things. Like, it's, it's centered on that. That's the storyline of Scripture, as we've talked about a lot in other episodes. But there's something about this text, and I think this text ties in close to the Hebrews 1, which is rather similar mm-hmm. when it exalts yeah. the Son and shows that not only is he the creator, meaning he's not—so one thing that if we haven't talked about before— we we here at accessible theology hold to the creator creature distinction very much so right there's you're you're either creator which is god alone (laughs) or your creation and one of the things that will even come up in this text is in history um a heretic uh arius um and arianism would have taken Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, one of these verses to mean that he thought that uh, jesus was the first created being but we Sweet. resolutely with everything in us reject that notion and, yeah. and think that Paul is actually teaching the opposite here and we'll talk about yeah. that more. But I just say it to say this text puts forward Jesus as both creator and redeemer, and it does so on a cosmic scale, mm-hmm. unlike just about any other passage does in such clarity. So it's it's, it's really yeah. helpful.
0: Yeah, so then before we get into talking about it too much, let's go ahead and read the passage. Uh, you can feel free to read along with us. Unless you're driving, then you should probably not do that. Uh, so we'll awesome. read, yeah, yeah, we'll read Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. Um, Michael, do you uh, do you want to read it for us?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So it reads, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him all things so so that in him all things he may have preeminence. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross.
0: So you can probably see uh, why why we get so uh, excited about this passage. There is a lot of truth that we need to discuss. So let's just let's just start in verse fifteen and walk through it uh, as much as we can uh, through verse 20 uh, to see what things we can draw out. So, I mean, I think first and foremost, what we have to discuss is that that first phrase where he says, he is the image of the invisible God. So, Michael, when we think about the Lord Jesus as the invisible God, uh, how, how does that help us to understand the nature of God? How does that help us to understand... Uh, Who Jesus is, His person, His work, uh, the Triune God. There are so many things that we could discuss here, but how does this how does this help us to understand God a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're told in in other places. I'm thinking, particularly, the Book of John, that God is Spirit, um, and that that when we see that said by Jesus to the woman at the well, He's including Himself. We would argue in His eternal. Um, relation with the, the Father and Spirit, meaning that the we've talked about this extensively before, but just to reiterate in this context, um, the Son assumed humanity or he took on flesh. He added um, to himself a human nature. Mm-hmm. This did not mean he became a creation in the sense where he lost his deity or lost his eternal nature but that he lives we would we can say through two modes of existence so he is fully god and fully man and he is living as a full man but mm-hmm. that doesn't remove his deity in any way so it kind of it blows mm-hmm. our minds this is not yeah. none of us are able to do such things this is yeah. the son alone and we want to be very clear the son alone the father and the spirit didn't didn't live through this second mode of existence the son alone assumes this and this is what paul is trying to unpack here i mean this is a massive concept uh that the eternal son who is the image who we see here is called the image of the invisible god meaning that he's the imprint as we see in hebrews the language is the imprint of his very nature or substance they share the substance they are equal in that in that nature this invisible God, the Son, became the first Boise of creation, which is speaking of his preeminence over all creation, because when he took on humanity, he did so as God in the flesh, so that in him, God can reconcile all things, Mm. both the invisible and visible to himself. So, what you see is God the invisible becoming visible so that all things whether invisible or visible can be united i mean there's this is again deep deep stuff that we'll never fully you know comprehend but that this is what the gospel puts for this is what paul wants you to know is that Mm. that the son has taken on this humanity and in so doing is the firstborn in such a way that he is over all of creation not as the first created being but since he has taken to himself A created nature Mm -hmm. he can then he is now preeminent over all
0: creation yeah so the the incarnation it would be it would be right to speak of it in terms of uh, Jesus coming into the world in a new manner of presence so Mm -hmm. so he has eternally existed uh, just as the Father and the Spirit have eternally existed however in the incarnation uh, he is taking on a new manner of presence in this world, which is flesh. Uh, this was this was new. This was not something that had ever taken place uh, in the history, and and we can have the debates on theophanies and all of that um, appearances of God in the Old Testament. Um, we can we can have that debate if we need to. But uh, Jesus coming in the flesh is is this new redemptive experience, um, and and it's for the purpose of. <clears throat> of as the text says making visible the invisible God Uh, and so uh, what we see is if we want if we want to know what the triune God looks like we look at the incarnate Christ and and he is the image of the invisible God and and so we have his words recorded we have his deeds recorded Uh, we are able to to come to know what God is like based on what we see the incarnate Christ doing Um, so then Michael, you you have referenced this twice already, the second phrase in verse 15, uh, the firstborn of all creation. You mentioned Arianism, but the, the modern uh, form of Arianism is uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and they would hold to this idea, which is a misunderstanding, primarily taught through a mistranslation of John 1.1 uh, and a misunderstanding of the passage that we're reading, which says... Uh, their belief would be Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Now, I'm glad that they say gr- greatest, but to, to say that Jesus is created removes uh, the truth of the first statement that we've read in this verse, verse 15, that he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, so, Michael, how, how can we think through this understanding? What is, what is going on when, when Paul is saying that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation?
1: yeah the fundamental error that jehovah's witnesses that arians have made and that many other heresies have made is they misunderstand that the son of god incarnate jesus christ is one person in with two natures and that that distinction is crucial and what what i mean by that is that he is he is fully and remain and will forever be fully deified he is god himself he yeah. yeah. did not become god he right. is God, fully living for all eternity, dwelling with the Father and Spirit. Um, they share that eternal relation. They, that is that is only belonging to them. Mm. And he added to himself this second nature, which is humanity. And that is where the Arians and Jehovah's Witnesses go astray, is as they do not under they they act as though there is not that second nature, or they just flat out reject it. And 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 that's fundamentally what it, what is happening there. What, one of the things that will you'll hear a lot if you're in studying Christology, is you'll hear things like, natures don't act, persons mm-hmm. do, right? And that that's fundamentally mm-hmm. what what we're saying in that, is that the person of the Son is acting through this human nature, and he is still simultaneously. This is where your mind starts to snap. Simultaneously. Upholding the, the universe by the word of his power as the eternal God, so while wow. he is in while he is being held by Mary in you know in the stable as yeah. he, after his birth, he yeah. is simultaneously upholding the universe by the word of his power because if the son did not just leave and be full the word that is used he's not fully contained in that human nature he does so it's not Mm -hmm. as though the father and spirit are now in heaven and the son is now doing his thing down on earth the Mm -hmm. triune god as we've said in in the past always acts in a triune manner and that didn't stop in the incarnation and this what's crucial to maintain is that second mode of existence that the son is living through as a divine person living through the human uh, human nature and taking on the mm-hmm. human nature to himself. I, I wouldn't even want to say living the divine age because there is a human nature that yeah. that is uh, fully experienced by the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why I can say in Luke 2:52 that He grew in wisdom and stature with God and men. Is why He got tired, why He was hungry, uh, why He didn't at the time He could say the Son of Man doesn't know when the Father will send Him back. He's speaking through His mm-hmm. human capacities and nature uh, in, in that moment. So. Holding those things in tension is what we what we need to be doing. And I would add to move on to 16 so we don't belabor the point with the fact <laughs> that, you know, we mean the firstborn, just to, to clarify, the firstborn means he is preeminent over all creation as the son who has taken on flesh and, and has re- reconciled all things to himself. He stands preeminent in that mm-hmm. way, not because he not because he's created as a, as a being, because right. he took on creation as God himself. But then in 16, what's interesting is he transitions, Paul does, to say, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. What's important to note at this point is the way that the, the translation is phrased um, phrased here is trying to capture from, from the Greek the fact that it's put forward as the Father creating by the Son. So, the, so And that's what we see in John 1. That mm-hmm. the word was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that the Father creates through the Son by the Spirit. That's the, the mm-hmm. we talked about, the same as the prayer. If you remember back in the first Colossians discussion, we talked about praying to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. This is how God created too. Mm-hmm. Triune, you know, and right. and what we see here in sixteen is it's being hinted at there that it's that the the Father by the Son. Is creating all things so that the sun stands divine and on the Creator side, not on the creation side, and that is crucial to get.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've seen, um, I think it's an article on the Gospel Coalition, and I don't remember who the author is, someone who's well-known in the apologist circles, and, and they're talking about um, how to share the gospel with a Jehovah's Witness based on this passage, and they say all you need is a napkin. And, and on the napkin, you draw a line, and on one side of the line, you have um, created things. On the other side of the line, you have things that created. Uh, and so, basically, all that all that you discussed in saying, we here at Accessible Theology believe in the creator-creature distinction, he said, if you read this passage, even, even in the New World Translation, which is the translation of Jehovah's Witness, um, where they don't they intentionally get some of these things wrong. Even in that translation, were you to put the Lord Jesus on one side of that line or the other, he has to be in in the category of things that created. And so it's not possible for he as something who is created to be the creator of all things, which just speaks to the the immensity of our God that uh, he is the creator of all, but then also who is able to, to come and be with us, be Emmanuel, God with us. Um, and to continue even in, in the, the, the verse 16, everything, not only created uh, by him, in him, but for him. So all things created through him and for him. So it would be an act of of idolatry for for us to consider that, um, you know, these things are uh, created for him unless he's God, the creator. Uh, And so that's just even another crucial distinction uh, where we have to to keep in mind who the Lord Jesus is, how he created, and also why things are created. They're created for his glory. Uh, And we can't give glory in that way to something or someone that isn't God. And that's another, I think, another way that... Arius and modern day followers, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, would get that wrong. Mm-hmm. So then in, in yeah, verse 17, you got more on 16, whatever uh, well, you got to say, God.
1: Yeah, with well, the end of 16, we don't want to skip over where he says that he's created the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him for him. I do want to highlight that a common yeah. misreading that we see today that's been more popularized by guys like N.T. Wright recently for example is they Mm -hmm. want to emphasize that those dominions rulers and authorities are government figures today that jesus conquered over and they they Mm -hmm. want to emphasize that jesus was hung illegally by the jewish and roman governments and that he conquered Mm -hmm. those governments we disagree with that reading we would understand paul to be emphasizing especially if you put the since Colossians is so much similar to Ephesians and you read of how he considers the rulers and authorities in those contexts he's speaking about spiritual principalities ruling mm. behind the scenes that's the emphasis now this it affects governments we would agree we wouldn't want to say this has no bearing on human affairs right. at all right. that's not in fact Paul is trying to tie these kind of things together the physical and the invisible but right. We do want to say that in this text, when, when we see that He's created all the rulers and authorities, that He then conquers over them, it says in Colossians 2, and triumphed over them in the cross, which is not, uh, in, in disagreement with guys like Wright, again, that's not speaking of Jesus just conquering bad governments in this mm. in this life. It's speaking mm-hmm. of the fact that He conquered over all principalities, demons, angels, He has conquered... And that is why throughout both Colossians and in Hebrews, when it talks about the supremacy of the Son, it speaks so much of Christ being superior to the angels and those realms, because he has it's it's amazing that he takes on flesh which would seem to be lower than the angels, which is what Hebrews says. For a little mm-hmm. while he became lower than the angels, but then through the resurrection, he is exalted and he showed mm-hmm. and he and he and he's glorified in his humanity through the resurrection. So we see in that is Jesus conquering over All of those principalities so that all things in heaven and earth can be united so that in heaven, we who are physical can be taken into these invisible realities. And that is why Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead later. He is leading it. He he goes through that. He experiences that so that he can lead us deeper into those realities.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So then to continue... Uh, to verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, even with 18, he's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Those sort of those two things go together, uh, that he is before all things. So, Michael, would you take that as a reference to his preexistence?
1: Yeah, I would say both he both is over but that yeah he yeah. is before these things so i think it, it's kind of a both and i don't yeah. think it has to be an either or but i do think we see the beginning the firstborn from among the dead you're seeing his originator creator status you're seeing the fact that he is the first that has risen from death to conquer it forever yeah. uh, and I think highlighting that and, and what's incredible is he connects this in as you already read with 18 the head of the body the church yeah that this that in Ephesians is made very explicit. and I think it's three ten when it says that it's it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is yep. being displayed like yeah. to the rulers and authorities. I think that's a direct connection here that mm-hmm. Christ through His redeemed people, the church is the redeemed of God, those whom Christ has saved and who He promises the future resurrection to. It is through those that He is showing off this wisdom and the save. And, we're, and he's called the head here, which as mm-hmm. we'll get into much more in Colossians 2, is where the false teachers that Paul is writing against in Colossians get it wrong. It says that they're disconnected from the head, meaning they're not in Christ, and yet mm-hmm. they are te- they think that they have the authority to tell, tell the church that they're disqualified. And Paul wants to say, no, no, you have the head. You aren't disconnected. Those guys are beheaded from mm-hmm. from Christ. Don't listen to them. Don't let them disqualify you because you're one of the ones that was— transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son and he is your head and he, and he is your source of life trust in mm-hmm. him your life is hidden in him that's paul paul's building us to that
0: argument yeah yeah so it, it makes sense that if the lord jesus is what we've said he is leading up to verse 18 it would make sense that he is then the head of the body the church mm-hmm. Um, and so it is the church's responsibility to submit to him as Lord, as the authority, as the creator and sustainer of all things. Uh, so, I th- yeah, I think it's it's just logical progression where, you know, Paul is coming in with concentric circles. He's created all things and now he's focusing in on the church uh, where, you know, it, it's our responsibility uh, to worship and revere him as who he's... He's claimed to be in 15 to 17, uh, and it just makes sense that he's the head of the body of the church then. So then, the, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Um, reference to his resurrection, um, firstborn from the dead specifically. Uh, how, how might this give comfort to believers, and how might you know the church understand this uh, so that we can indeed be comforted by it what do you think
1: yeah elsewhere I'm thinking I think it's in Thessalonians he ta- Paul talks about Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection mm-hmm. and first fruits and firstborn often was utilized particularly in, in the Hebrew Bible to speak of the guarantee of what was to come um, or as Paul talks about in Ephesians the pledge of what is to come which is the, and he connects that to the spirit indwelling us and I think that ties together well here to say that our comfort is in the fact that Christ as the firstborn guarantees that we will rise to. And yeah. Yeah. we will we will follow the pattern of His resurrection, as, as it is said elsewhere. And mm-hmm. He is fulfilling this role as the last Adam, who and He is reversing the death and bringing about eternal life in and of Himself. And that is our hope. Like, we can... We can trust that we will raise from the dead because we're united to the one who has been risen from the dead, that Mm -hmm. death could not hold him down, that death will never hold him down again, and that he will conquer one day, that he will, the last enemy to be destroyed officially will be death. And that will happen when Christ glorifies his people. We receive a body like his body that he has received in the resurrection And that is just, like, the reality is your future resurrection is just as sure as Jesus has already risen from the dead, if you're a Mm. Christian. And Mm. that's an indomitable hope that you have. And Mm -hmm. so that that would be the encouragement I would offer is if you ever struggle with pain and suffering and you're looking ahead to the the resurrection Mm. and you ever have a fleeting doubt or you start to think, Mm. is this really going to happen? Just ask yourself, did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes, Mm. he did. And so you will too. And th- that's the hope that we have as Christians.
0: That's right. And, and that hope is won by what is described in verse 19. Uh, for, you know, we have, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I think we've kind of hit on that a, a little bit already, but specifically in 20, where it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the hope, that we have and the sureness of our resurrection because of his resurrection is because of his finished work on the cross, mm-hmm. the work that he did to make peace. And so there was there was enmity between uh, God and humanity, but the Lord Jesus comes and reconciles. He, he removes the enmity and the only thing that's left is peace uh, because of the work that he has done. And that is a big deal because again if this this passage is presenting the lord jesus christ as uh, the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation the one who created everything the one who sustains everything but then also the one who comes in our stead to do what we couldn't do uh, to to remain righteous to uh, accomplish the the work that needed to be done so that our uh, our, our enmity could be removed then then Jesus is supremely to be the object of our worship and and the one to whom that we uh, give all praise and honor and glory because he's the one who has done the work of reconciling he's the one who has has removed the enmity and has given us the peace and it's all encompassing whether on heaven uh, whether on earth or in heaven uh, and it's it's the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus that has won that for us uh, so it's probably, I mean, this is nowhere near um, enough to say, but it's kind of a big deal that that the one who is described in in 15 to, to 19 uh, is the one who, on our behalf, does the work that's necessary and that we get to be in relationship with the creator of all because of the work that he has done. Uh, and so... There's probably more we could say about the work that, that has taken place, uh, specifically that it is by the blood of his cross, but this is something that needs to draw us to worship uh, and and should fuel the hope that we have uh, as we live this life and, and are um, you know, faced with different trials, different temptations, all of this, uh, that we can rest in the Lord Jesus who is this supreme being.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... An important thing to note um, in this last verse is it's easy, and many have done this. They end up going towards a universalism or, or or things like that from this mm-hmm. text because it talks so absolutely. He's going to reconcile all things, and so some will yeah. read this and end up going into an error where well, God's just going to fix everything, and hell's not a thing. Like, is that was, I've heard? I've seen arguments. Well, hell's not mentioned in these verses, kind of thing. Mm. But it's important, and we'll get into this more next time when we look at the other verses, but I just want to highlight that Paul immediately follows this up by saying that we were once alienated, as as Aaron just talked about, from God, and were hostile in our minds, engaging in evil deeds, what we're told, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, unblemished, and blameless in his presence. And and then he has this all-important clause, if indeed you continue in Mm -hmm. your faith. Yeah. justification by faith is the grounds by which all things will be fixed. That is mm-hmm. the fundamental reality that will determine whether or not you participate in the all things. Paul is explaining and clarifying specifically what he means by all things here, and he's mm-hmm. going to build that out more. So we need to read Paul carefully to yeah. not go too far to go beyond what he is arguing. Remember, Paul in this section is given a hymn. It's, big it's cosmic in picture so when he's talking of all things we need to read those next couple verses to understand how that is actually going to work itself out in reality which we see that he is going to reconcile all things in heaven and earth by saving a people through faith Mm -hmm. for himself as god's own possession who are a part of this kingdom of his beloved son
0: yeah yeah well, if you are a believer who is listening to this, we would just encourage you to to take rest in what we have uh, discussed about who the Lord Jesus is, the work that he has accomplished because of who he is. If you're a non-believer uh, who is listening, we would just encourage you to take refuge in in what we've discussed that you would come uh, to this one who is um, before all things, the one who deserves our honor and worship, the one who has Um, reconciled all things to himself uh, and submit your life to him Uh, and you can see a clear picture of who he is in this text uh, and and it is our prayer that you'd be drawn to worship uh, him and him alone uh, and seek to give your life as a living sacrifice to him um, as you seek to honor and glorify the one who is alone worthy uh, to be honored and glorified uh, so, Michael, any any further thoughts, anything else to say as we think about wrapping up this episode?
1: I would just uh, reiterate and say in closing that it is only through shed blood. As Hebrews 7 says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And yeah. God is just. He will not be mocked. He will repay. And what we see to connect this uh, section of scripture to what Paul writes elsewhere in Romans 3, that he has put Christ forward publicly as a propitiation, meaning mm. put him forward as a sacrifice that will absorb the wrath of mm. God in himself so through his body, through his physical punishment, as First Peter 2 says, that he bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and mm. live to righteousness. So God's Work again. This isn't just governments, the Jews and and the Romans colluding to put Jesus on a cross. This is God's eternal plan that He preordained, and on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied, so that all who put their faith and trust in Christ would be free and reconciled to God.
0: Amen. And amen. We want to thank you for listening to our discussion today. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out, AccessibleTheology at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook at Accessible theology. But until next time, we want to charge you, as always, to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.